Good morning and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian Church. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. We are located in beautiful Uptown Columbus on the corner of 11th and 1st. We would love for you to join us for worship or just stop by and say hello. At First Presbyterian Church, we welcome you with grace and gratitude for God's love. Scripture today is from the prophet Micah, chapter 5. But you, O Bethlehem of Ephraim, you are one of the little clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to rule Israel, whose origin is old from the ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up the time when she who is in labor has been brought forth. Then the rest of his kindred shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall live secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be the one of peace. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading is taken from the Gospel of Luke. We are in Luke 1, 39 through 55. This is mainly referred to as Mary's Magnificat, but it is right after Mary is told by the angel that she is going to have a baby. So that's what we call the Annunciation, and this is right after that, right after Mary gets the news we pick up for today, Luke 1, 39. <clears throat> Listen for the word of the Lord. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, "'Blessed are you among women!' And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud of the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. According to the promise, 
he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. This is the word of the Lord. So today, a quick Advent slash Christmas quiz for you. Three categories, very easy. We'll start with secular Christmas. We'll go to Christmas carols, and then today's scripture. All you have to do is fill in the blank. Very easy. But 845 got it, the service, so easily, I'm going to make it a little bit harder for you. So again, you just fill in the blank. The blank. Frosty the... Thank you. See? See? You're in it. You're doing great. Silver. Very nice. You know... Wow, I am impressed. Y'all are great. I'm going to have to make it harder now. Okay, moving to Christmas carols. Go. Oh. Oh, come all you faithful. Right, right, right. Joyful and the. Oh, my gosh. That, you are all fantastic. Okay, so shifting to our scripture, the angel. Very good. Elizabeth and Zechariah, right? And finally, my soul. My soul magnifies the Lord. Right. Bless you. So today, as we just discussed, Mary has just received word that she is going to have this amazing baby in this most miraculous way. Now, we are early in the Gospel of Luke, and Luke tells us with the angel Gabriel that Mary is alerted to what was getting ready to happen to her and with her. And so the first thing that happens after she gets the word is our passage today. She heads to the Judean hill country to visit Elizabeth, who we think was a cousin or akin uh, to her of some sort. Now think about the mind of Mary. Probably younger, could even be preteen, 12, 13, 14-ish in that zone. And in that day, not so uncommon, although unwed, not okay for the day. So she's trying to process all of this in her mind, and she's got her world around her. We heard from her grandmother, what in the world is she going to think about Jesus' grandmother? What about Joseph? How do I really get him to understand? Angel doesn't come to Joseph in Luke's account, doesn't Matthew. What about her friends? What about the small town in Nazareth where they are from? Scandalous, scandalous. Even if it's okay, she's got to be thinking, what, what, what do I do now? I got this word. I, I, I understand something amazing is getting ready to happen. What do I do? 
So for a variety of reasons. One might be, well, I know Elizabeth is pregnant. She's been pregnant for five or six months. Maybe I'll go see her. We can talk pregnancy stuff. Maybe she just needs to get out of town for a variety of reasons. But whatever the reason, she decides to go. So she goes, and not an easy trip would have taken her a couple of days. She may have been with others. She may have been with a caravan. She may have been alone, probably not alone. But it would have been a bit of a, a journey. So she finally gets there. If you look on the cover of your bulletin, there's an artist rendering of the two coming together, Elizabeth and Mary. You see the baby bump on one and elation on the other. Uh, we could probably interchange Mary and Elizabeth there. Both were excited. Both were elated. And Elizabeth seemed to know already about the Messiah that Mary was beginning to carry. For as they greeted one another, John, who is Elizabeth's child in the womb, who would become John the Baptist, leapt, jumped in the womb. Moms, you have some kickers uh, when you were pregnant. This was a leap. I don't know if that's good or not. But it was a joyful response that John and Elizabeth had to being in the presence even of the Christ child in utero and Mary, his mother. They understood what was coming and what was getting ready to happen. Now, you have these two miraculous women, one who is probably too young, probably too scandalous, to have a child, much less the Messiah. And you have Elizabeth. Zechariah and Elizabeth were way past child-rearing, bearing age. It was a miracle for John the Baptist as well. Zechariah was a priest, Elizabeth his wife. And right before this, Zechariah is told by an angel, he's doing his shift in the temple, and angel comes and says, you're going to have a child. He says, I don't think so. How's that possible? Have you seen us? And the angel says, no, you're going to have a child, and because you didn't believe me, you will be rendered mute until that child is born. So Zechariah doesn't say a word from that point until John is born. So you have this young miracle story of conception, and you have this old miracle story with conception. These are two exceptional women that were both marginalized in their own way and in their own time. And this is how God is setting up the world to change. Not a perfect story, not a perfect society. A preacher shares this story a few years ago from the Denver Post, a true story. So uh, a father and his son are a part of church, and the pastor lets them know that they're going to be sponsoring this family for Christmas, and they need a Christmas tree. So a father and his son get in to their pickup truck to go, and they want to cut down a tree there in Colorado. They know a great spot. And as they are out there, they literally get hit by a rock slide. A boulder hits the side of the truck. It is damaged. The window shattered. The sun is bleeding from all of the glass. 
cell phone squashed with the truck. So they're kind of stuck there. They're trying to flag down passers-by. Again, distraught in crisis. The sun bleeding in multiple points. They counted 200 cars that passed them by. But the 201st stopped. It was a couple that welcomed them in. The father, very anxious, excited, upset, trying to take care of their son. Uh, the husband was driving. The mother helped them. They had a first aid kit in the car, took care of his wounds, and they dropped him at their house, dropped him off, and went on their way. Such a crazy flurry of activity, the father never got their name or knew who they were. So we fast forward a couple weeks to Christmas Eve. Truck's been repaired. The son is healing up fine. And the pastor says, this is the family. Um, I know you didn't make it there the first time when you tried, but would you try again? We've got all of our collected food and toys for that family. And the father, a little hesitant, well, it didn't go so well last time we tried, but okay, we'll try again. So they take all the gifts given from the congregation to this family, and they have armloads, they knock on the door, and it's the same couple that picked them up in the car. That's a great story. And it's supposed to be real. And I think it is. That is a neatly tied story. And even better because it's real. They meant to go do something good for a family, and unknowingly that family helped them out, and then they were brought back together in the end of that story. Literally, that's a Christmas miracle and to be celebrated. But few times in our lives, and we all know this, is life so perfect? Do these situations work out? One of the challenges for the season is that the same time we bring out the Christmas trees and we dust off our snowmen and we put up our trees and lights, we often don't think about the significance of Christ being born as something more than just these few weeks and especially tomorrow. And so it runs the danger of being put in that category with Rudolph and Frosty, tales of fancy and whimsy. But those stories too end well. They end in perfect nice Hollywood ways, but this story is different. We cannot put Mary or Elizabeth in this category. Their world was a mess. As much as we think we are out of control with all that we're dealing with today, what's going to happen in Syria now that we pulled out? Afghanistan continues our efforts there, our war our men and women serving, living, dying, fighting. All of the government mess, no matter what side you stand on. How are we going to move forward? What about immigrants? What about the world's refugees? And so on, and so on, and so on. Very easy for us to look and think, gosh, this has got to be the strangest and most broken time in the world but it wasn't, and it's not. Significant challenges, don't get me wrong. And reason to be anxious, because we don't know where we are headed. God does, we don't. But even in that day, consider Mary and Elizabeth's 
surroundings and culture. That land had been occupied by Rome since 63 BC. They were as they were used to being, but again, an oppressed people. Herod, their leader, their Jewish leader, was a disaster as a leader. He didn't care about the people. He often exploited them and was only in power as a puppet of Rome. That's the only way he was able to keep his power, to completely acquiesce and bow before the emperors in Rome. They were in occupied territory. Now Mary is dealing with rumors and gossip in her little town. What's going on with Mary? In three months, she comes back from visiting Elizabeth. Three months, Mary's got a baby bump. What's going on? Their times were not easy. Things were difficult in life, difficult then. Not that it's not now. But this fallacy that this was some kind of sweet story that ended up at the manger is wrong. It's not as neatly tied as the story I shared or the Christmas stories that we enjoy, which we should. God is breaking into their world in their time, in the midst of the mess in the midst of the chaos of their time, as God will do again tomorrow when we celebrate the birth of Christ. God doesn't protect them from the harsh realities of their day, but he comes to them in the midst of it. So the first thing I want us to remember is that no matter how difficult we see the world, how broken and dark and out of our control, We need to know that we do not put our faith and trust in mortals. We put our faith and trust in God. And God is coming to us again as we celebrate the birth of Christ, breaking into the mess that can be seen in this world to be with us in the midst of it. Not to take it all away, not even to shield us from all negativity or tragedy, I wish that was the case. But God is with us no matter what, as God was with Mary and Elizabeth. So the second part of this. So Mary hears about her pregnancy. She responds. She recognizes what's happening and believes what the angel tells her. And then she responds. She responds with this poetic song we call the Magnificat. And it is her poetic way to respond to what she has been told, meaning she believed it, she understood it enough that she knew something amazing was going to happen. This is joy-filled. She and Elizabeth felt that joy with one another because of the presence of Christ. And she writes this song. She joins some others that were famous songs in the Old Testament. Miriam, after the Israelites came through the Red Sea. Deborah, uh, one of the most strong female characters in the whole Bible. She was a, a prophetess. She was a military leader. She was a judge and ruled over Israel. She wrote a song. The song of Hannah. 
If you remember, Hannah also could not conceive. She went to the temple, asked for God's help, and said that she would dedicate her child. Would God bless her with one? God did. She did. That child uh, became Samuel, who would be the prophet that would grow to anoint King David as king over Israel. Hannah wrote a song that is very similar to this song that Mary sings. So the first part of this is about Mary herself. Listen with her, let's say, 12-year-old mind. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on, with favor on his lowliness of his servant. From surely now on generations will call me, me, blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. So this first part is her coming to terms with her own part of this. And then it moves into justice. As we have heard from the prophets, as we have heard Christ mentioned in the same general way of bringing high places low and low places high, equaling, getting ready to turn over the, the status quo in existing order. Then she got, launches into this. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart, brought down the powerful from their thrones, lifted up the lowly, filled the hungry, sent the rich away empty. And then the very last thing she said, and this is to uphold the covenant that God made with our ancestor Abraham. So again, you have this first part where she is amazed that she is being used as this instrument. Number two, she's letting us know things are about to change when Christ comes into this world and ends it with the reminder that God keeps God's promises. My soul magnifies the Lord, she says. You remember playing with a magnifying glass when you were a kid? Or maybe as your eyes might uh, dilapidate somewhat, we may be using them now. But you remember picking that up as a kid, not, not the ones that would burn stuff or set stuff on fire with it in the sunlight, but for those who you picked it up and you looked and it was amazing, in this little contained area, you could see clearer and brighter and bigger and larger. In 1600, Hans Lippershey, thank you, Hans Lippershey was a Dutch spectacle maker, made glasses. One day there's a couple of kids in his workshop and they put several lenses together looking out the window and they're able to magnify and make clear this weather vane that's across the street on this building. And he takes that and he is one, he is seen as the inventor of the telescope in 1600, Hans Lippershey. He then takes it and made a fortune from the military who took his instruments and started to use them in the ways that they did. The amazing thing about that is that magnification completely surprised them. They didn't conceive of that until they stumbled into it. They didn't know you could magnify 
what was in front of you, what was underneath you, the light, buildings, objects, words. And this is Mary's sole purpose. She said, my soul magnifies the Lord. She becomes that glass for which people then look to make this Christ child, this Messiah, clearer and bigger. What a great way to think about our challenge, our call to discipleship, that we would all be those instruments that magnify Christ. John the Baptist's job was to come and prepare the way for his cousin, Jesus the Messiah. Mary says, it is my soul that magnifies him. And so, as we move on and head into tomorrow for our final celebration, our job today, tomorrow, and every day after is to understand what Mary understood, which was enough. She didn't know how things were going to end. She didn't know both the horror and the joy that she would experience from this child. Mary, did you know? That whole thing. She didn't know, but she knew enough. She knew that this was a Messiah. She knew that this child that she was going to bear would change the world. Her soul magnifies the Lord. So remember today that God broke into their chaotic and broken culture, environment, and world. Not to save them and wrap them up in a neat bow, but to be with them in the midst of their chaos and their time. And second, we should strive to magnify the Lord with our very souls. Help others to see Christ bigger and more clearly. That is our call. So let us go and magnify. Hallelujah. Amen.